0: Hello and welcome to The Grow CFO Show. My name is Kevin Appleby and today I've got Tony Talbot with me. Now Tony is also a podcast host. Tony produces a podcast called Career Move Secrets. So welcome to the show Tony.
1: Hi Kevin, thanks for having me on. Really appreciate it.
0: So Tony, what's Career Move Secrets all about?
1: So Career Move Secrets is a it's a multiple of things, if you like. I have a podcast, uh, as as you say, which uh, I think I'm up to about thirty five episodes on, maybe thirty six. Um, I also have a a course for executive level job seekers. So it's it's predominantly helping those sort of senior, sort of C suite or or moving into the C suite type candidates make that next career move to the next level. So career move as a, as a sort of definition is is to make an upward move if you like a, a move better than the one that you have right now. So, uh, and the secrets are all about the, the strategies that I think you need in today's job market to get you to the next level. Um, particularly when you're actually looking for a job, um, which I find a lot of the senior people I deal with, they don't have that experience anymore because there's so many people like me out there as headhunters who are headhunting them you often move because opportunity comes your way. But when you're actually looking to make a move to the next level, that's when you actually have to, to think about how you're going to execute that.
0: And no, we've, we've spoken in the past, not just about coming and move secrets, but about the secret job market. Yes. Uh, that's, that's one thing that I really wanted to, to talk to you about today and find out what exactly that secret job market is all about.
1: Yeah, well, the term I would use is the hidden job market. And the hidden job market is, is a term used to describe jobs that are not advertised or posted online or anywhere else. And actually, it's thought to be 80% of the jobs that are filled each year are unadvertised. So if you think about the way that people think about job seeking now, since the sort of digital age um, of, of, of job boards and seeing you know enormous amounts of, of jobs online, I think people think the way to find a job these days when they're actually looking is to go online to use indeed or LinkedIn or, or any other job board and look for what out there. My argument is, well, that's, it's very easy, you know, and you can, you can get a cross section of, of, of jobs there and you can very easily apply. You can just click and apply and it's all very, very easy, but actually that, that market is, is only 20% of the market. And it's also a market that I think is almost broken, um, but it's almost a victim of its own success. I was talking on my podcast with a, a CEO uh, of a, a lady called J C Townend, and she's the CEO of a company called L H H Lee Hector Harrison. They're a, a talent management company. She was telling me, so she's in my space if you like. She, she was telling me that um, one of her clients is a bank, and they get for every job they post, they get five thousand applications. Ooh, five
0: thousand applications. It, so you're you're one of five thousand cvs hitting which
1: them. is which is just ridiculous so that that what they're trying to do is reduce the number they're trying to up the quality and reduce the number by having all sorts of different tests they put you through before you can even apply and you can imagine how that that's sort of replicated across markets the average actually so let me give you the the figures the average across the entire internet is each job up uh, job um that you see posted attracts 250 cvs that's the average okay and the average number uh, of people call forward to interviews is two percent of the actual people that apply so quick maths there says you know you need to be in the top five people
0: yeah to yeah. get
1: an interview and so that's why i think that the job market is broken it can be very you know, it, it can be very disconcerting for people applying to jobs and finding that they're not getting any traction. You're not getting any any um, feedback. You really feel like you're throwing your CV into a black hole. And, and, and that's pretty much what is happening. Um, the other thing that's going on is about 75% of the companies out there are now using some degree of software to look at your CV, we call it an applicant tracking system. So they're looking at the keyword richness of your CV. So if you know, you don't have a, an appreciation of how to write a CV in the digital age, um, then you can find that your CV never actually sees the light of day, doesn't actually get in front of a natural human being. It will be uh, ruled out by the the applicant tracking software and will end up in some sort of digital bin. So yeah the, the the job market can seem like there's lots and lots of jobs out there and it's all very easy just click and apply but in 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 reality you're looking at 20% of the market you have to be in the top 2% of people to to get a um to get a um an interview and beyond that i'd also argue there are more problems in so much as that's not how recruitment works you know I, having been a headhunter for 20 years i can tell you that's not how it works um, advertising it lags behind other more productive um, methods of recruiting. You know, writing a, a job spec, writing a, a job ad is something that takes time. Um, and it's something that, that lags well behind the real things that are happening. If, I mean, think of it this way. If you if you have an opening in your business, if you've got a gap, or you can see a gap coming around, um, or you're, you're hit between the eyes with a, um, that day with a, a, a resignation, you, your first thing is not to to write an advert your first thing is to think who do I know yes or who do we know in our network that could do this job so you do that sort of let's try and build our own shortlist from from people that we know like and trust already that's that's your your go to if you if you don't get any joy or even if you're doing that in parallel, you'll probably speak to somebody like me a headhunter and bearing in mind we're always speaking to ceos and other c-suite people constantly and asking them a question you know what are they looking for today they're likely to get somebody that uh, that that will ask them that question within the you know space of a few weeks and they'll they might outline a, a, a job spec to them and when i say a job spec we're talking about bullet points here it won't be a job spec it's in my experience it's a, a bullet point of two or three things that you must have in order to to meet the the role, so you know must have worked in this in this industry, must have this qualification, must have exposure to whatever it might be, multi site uh, business or a business that's going through change or a business that's that's preparing for sale. You know it would be these sorts of things that that uh, you know has this person you know done an IPO before, whatever it will be, it will be a, 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 a small number of things, and we run off with that and try and create a shortlist. And it's only really through that process that, that the job becomes more defined. I, I actually find that my clients become more defined in what they're looking for by meeting people. So they interview three, four people, and it starts to develop a, um, a, a more formal brief because they say, well, you know, that guy had this, 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 this that lady had this ability. What I really like is, a, is somebody that's got all that combined. That becomes a job spec that you're, you're looking for. And often jobs are just filled. Before they even reach that advertised state, before HR get involved, I find hiring managers, as opposed to HR, they just want to get things done. Um, and, you know, the, the wheels of HR are not sort of brought into action, unless really, sometimes you can even argue, and, and and a lot of the CEOs I've spoken to on my my podcast have argued the same, that, you know, the the, the job advert is a bit of a safety net. It's a yeah, bit of
0: a... I must admit that I'm a cynic when it comes to HR departments. That I think the activities are done by an HR department are normally to give the HR department jobs.
1: I, I have some sympathy with you
0: there. I, I look at that across recruitment and my least favorite HR activity, the annual appraisal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're,
1: they're not. They're not often recruitment experts. I mean, to be fair, now more often big companies have internal recruitment teams and you know they do a job of of recruitment but i find if you're talking about senior roles they don't touch the senior roles because if you think of it if you're a ceo you want you want to take ownership of your c-suite team. absolutely you don't want to you're not palming that off to somebody else you're thinking of it from your own point of view your own network who do I want, and how do I want to bring them into into the company? So,
0: if you're the CEO, you you want people that you really can work with on a day to day basis, and I, I think particularly the CFO, because the CFO often ends up being the CEO's right man, right hand man, and there's there's something that it's as much about skills as it's about chemistry.
1: Oh, absolutely, and that's why meetings take place. You know, that's why it, it's it's the interview process that that really determines who gets the job it's it is that chemistry it's being able to see eye to eye and and realize that you can work together
0: yeah and i i guess that first bit about who's who who do we know who's in our network well across the c-suite you will know quite a number of other senior people maybe already in the c-suite or ready to make that jump
1: absolutely and you should network with them again i, I was talking on my uh, podcast with a guy called mel karam uh, he's the ceo of bristol water and he was talking to me endlessly about you know leveraging your network for information he talks constantly to 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 people in his network and and it's it's the way he has you know found his senior roles and he's worked at, at a partner level at kpmg and other places uh, but it, by talking to people And being aware of what they're doing in their businesses and the direction of travel, this is how you can yourself become uh, aware of the hidden job market and the opportunities therein.
0: So the the flip side of that then is to to CFOs looking for new role or heads of finance, financial controllers, et cetera, looking for that step up to the C-suite has to be leverage your own network in the same way as the CEO would do. So who, you, who you're connected to is enormously important.
1: Uh, absolutely. And, and it was actually I did a, a piece, I did a, a webinar for a company called Gated Talent recently, which is which is a sort of group of, of um, exec level uh, candidates across the world. Actually, they're all mostly in the sort of C-suite and many of them are, are in that sort of finance function. And we were talking about, which I know you you share an interest in the idea of sort of personal branding and this, this type of thing. I was talking to them about how you can become more visible and valuable in the hidden job market by raising your profile a bit. And you can do that within your your narrow network, your real network, if you like, the people that you genuinely know and have worked with in the past, and you should keep in regular contact with them, and and certainly shake the trees a bit and find out what's happening. But you can also do a sort of broader piece to a a more digital network, if you like, through LinkedIn. You and I are both sort of advocates of LinkedIn, um, where you can, I, I guess, raise your profile by being more active. Make sure that you have a very full. Uh, profile that you use your entire word count throughout your profile that you you know talk about your successes and your experiences because actually when i when i say that people like me or you know headhunting one of the one of the go-to resources for us is linkedin and it's where you can self uh publicize your experience and, and and abilities so if you have a nice full profile that's very that becomes much more searchable um there's more chance that i will find you and I might reach out to you for an opportunity in the hidden job market, a, a role that's not being advertised anywhere. So that's something me, that you should do as well.
0: Take me a little deeper into that. You're, you're sitting there as a headhunter. You, you've got this half dozen bullet points that have come through from a client. Mm. You're now going to start making your list. Talk, talk me through that process of, of using LinkedIn and so on to, to start to identify potential people for your shortlist
1: yes good question that 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 is essentially what we do if you think about linkedin now is 700 million people who are essentially creating the biggest ever recruitment database going in the old days we all each recruitment company had its own database and that was limited by the people that you came across the the linkedin is 700 million worldwide um in in terms of the the people on linkedin I think it's, it's nearly sort of 50% or more that are over earning over $75,000. So it's actually the people that are, are in my target market, the more senior people. And, and actually these thought that, that, um, you know, all of the most important decision makers are on LinkedIn. So you've, you've got a network there of all the people that you want to be involved with and that you want to target for somebody like me as a recruiter, I pay much more for my license than you would for you, for yours. You know, you might be a, a normal user getting it for free. I'm paying a, a premium to be able to see the entire network, so mm-hmm. I don't just see my connections or even my third connections. I see everybody that's on there. So I use that as a as a tool to to with my bullet points to do my very first quick reference check on how big the talent pool might be against those those. Uh, bullet points and perhaps a location um so i might look at you know uh uh, cfos in let's say london or commutable to london who let's say my client was uh, an fmcg company and they said you know people need to have fmcg experience to take this job you can start to see how i can build a, a pool there of potential people to target
0: now, my, my experience of LinkedIn, and we, we do a little bit of that sort of thing when we're, we're trying to publicize Grow CFO. Mm. Um, probably not quite as filtered as you, because we, we wouldn't filter by industry, but certainly I've done searches and I've said, tell me anybody with the job title head of finance. Mm. there," Because recognizing that the step up for most heads of finance will be the CFO, therefore, ideal. Potential people to start talking to about our future C.F.O. program, um, but that still comes back in sales navigator in LinkedIn with huge numbers of people in lists. So I imagine that even after putting those criteria into, you've still got a big chunk of people there.
1: Yeah, and and that's why we would you know use all four bullet points. You know, you, we would everything that the client is after. If you if you layer them up. And this is how we do it with Boolean searching. So you will say, you know, and, or, and these sorts of things. So if if you're basically, when you start to add four pieces of information together that they must have, your talent pool will become smaller and smaller. Agreed, it it can be massive. And I don't want to work on a talent pool that's sort of, I don't want to work on in, in the hundreds. You know, I want it to be sort of, Fifty to seventy-five is probably the 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 range that I would want to be working with. So we'll tend to narrow it down to that, and that that's why I guess when you think about search and what we're being asked to do as as headhunters, you know, a company can find somebody that's a seventy percent match. They might be able to find somebody that's seventy-five percent match. What they're asking of the recruiter who they're paying a fee, you know, maybe twenty-five percent even 30% of the first year salary of the person that we hire, they're asking us to to find a 90, 95% fit. Yeah. So that's how our, our our talent pool becomes much, much smaller. So, you know, we have to really hit the nail on the head. And, and you know, that can become a, a list of, say, as I say, 50 to 75. We, we then, you know, really look at that list of people. And what when you think about then what we're looking for, if, if we were to do this all through LinkedIn, it's not by any means that we do it all through LinkedIn. We don't, there's, there's other channels, but I think, f- for, and most, a lot of that will be asking people that we know and using our network. But um, if you look at it just from the point of view of LinkedIn, uh, it's a good ex- example of why your profile needs to be uh, a valuable profile because I'm making a value judgment when I look at your profile as to whether you're the right person for this job. If you haven't bothered to update your profile in three, four years, my value judgement is going to be lacking because i'm not working with with the great information that's why i would say you know make sure that if you're if you're interested in hearing about opportunities that fit you self publish what you're about and what your capabilities are are by doing that you're going to attract the roles that suit you better
0: so how would you go about self publishing those capabilities and i can think straight away of that block at the top of your Profile in LinkedIn that's sort of freeform text to describe yourself.
1: Yes, I think of the, the about. Experience. Yeah, they've, they've they've changed that from summary, haven't they, to about you uh, as a as a as a title. But the, thinking of real estate on LinkedIn, uh, the most valuable real estate is your is your um, is your your profile, uh, your um, headline, as we call it. So instead of just putting, here's here's an example. So let's say you are a head of finance. And that's your title. You would add more to that, so you you have a character limit of two hundred for your title. So you need to use all of it. And you have we've all seen people uh, and and minds knows no different where you're using every one of those characters. So, for instance, if you were uh, a head of finance, let's use our FMCG example. You might have a hyphen or something like that. FMCG hyphen uh, you might input CFO delegate or something like that. If you were, if you were in line for that next move, you might um, add to that uh, some of your key experience. So that might be that you have, um, you've been involved in private equity businesses or you've been inv- involved in all the sorts of things that you think we might be searching for. If they appear in your headline, that real estate in your headline is the most valuable. It's the thing that comes up uh, in searches as the most important so that's 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 your prime real estate and if you have something in there that that leads to uh who you are and what you're about that's the best thing to do
0: you and i in in business mm. we're running our own organizations i've often been told of that kind of type of market you go for a headline that goes something like i help mm. yeah. target customer achieve great success whatever that is in limited time period kind of formula for putting that headline together
1: yes and uh, that's very much a marketing piece for when people get eyes eyes on your profile i, I think yeah. that's that's right and, and in many ways mine's a bit like that if i was if i was in a role uh, working for a large organization and i was you know looking to be found on linkedin i think i would have my real title and then i would have um hyphenated or or, or in some way sort of uh, a number of the key capabilities that I've got in there. So that might be, as I say, might be market sector, it might be um, the type that the level that you're at, it might be some of the experience that you've had, whether that's, you know, as I say, um, being involved in acquisitions or doing due diligence or uh, disposals or whatever it is that, you know, is is sort of a significant part of your role, because we'll be, you know, whether it's been managing treasury or whatever it is, if, if we're searching for somebody that has those key, key criteria and those capabilities, if it's in your headline, you'll appear higher up the list.
0: Yeah.
1: That, that's and I guess
0: that, uh, that about you paragraph then goes into more detail. It does. This- and that, and
1: that's your next most important bit. And you've got 2000 characters there. So you've got an opportunity to tell a story, which is important, but you've also got a, an opportunity to load up the keywords so that your your profile is keyword rich. And and then you have that opportunity in every role you have fulfilled, you've got 2,000 more characters to use. So I would say, you know, use, use them. So if you've had five roles, and even if they've been very similar, don't worry about that. I think some people go, oh, you know, this role was the same as the previous one. Write it out in full detail again, because that will help you in your keyword richness, you'll go higher up the chain. If you, let's, for instance, even if let's say you've you've done a head of finance role six times and you've got six head of finance roles in your LinkedIn profile, you're more likely to appear in a head of finance um, search on LinkedIn by a recruiter than somebody who's had one of those roles.
0: Okay. So you're recruiting somebody for a client, Tony, who you're you're looking for CFOs. Possibly you're looking for either somebody who's done the role before or about to it's really ready to step up to the role. Mm. Typically what sort of keywords will you be putting into that search? Are there, are there some that come up more than others? Yeah, I think you,
1: you would always look for, um, all the different terms that could be used. So, you know, different companies have different terminology, uh, head of finances, one, um, you know, uh, finance director might be another. Uh, there might be, you know, uh, uh, junior, you know, a, a CFO, uh, a delegate type role. There might be some people using VP finance. So you probably actually use as many of those as you possibly can to give yourself a, a bigger, as bigger spread. And then you're using other uh, words or groups of words tagged on that are are. Allowing you to shorten the field a little bit. So at, at at the start, you're looking to to see how big the market is, and then you're narrowing the market with the other bullet points or key points that uh, key criteria that your client is asking you to 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 um, to recruit against. And then you know that's just the first sift, if you like. After that, you're doing the due diligence and you're doing the real human aspect of making value judgments on somebody's profile or indeed on the companies that they've worked for, and you're using your market knowledge, you know, that we it moves away from it just being about, you know, data to actually uh, value-driven recruitment that each recruiter has. So, you know, we all know a lot about the market. We know, you know, the, we know the reputation of one company versus another. We know the culture of, or we we, we've interviewed enough people to know the culture of one business against another. So you start to make value judgments about, you know, is somebody who has worked for, you know, PwC a better fit, you know, when they were in their sort of audit part of their career, a better fit than somebody who was at Deloitte. You, you start to make lots of different judgments like that based on what you think is best fit for your client. Um, so there is an element of this sort of at this high end level of uh, or, or sort of helicopter level of you need to have keyword richness in there. But you also need to have um, a great profile that people can read and understand and, and take a take a, a judgment
0: on. So there, there is a little element of cognitive bias coming in there. You're, you're associating a certain type of person with, say, a Deloitte the person you're looking at in front of you might have worked for PwC, but you don't know that they might have been more of a Deloitte sort of person in, in actual practice.
1: Yeah, there's no there's no doubt there's a cognitive bias in in well, in virtually every decision a human being makes. And, and there's no doubt that is, there's an element of that in, in recruitment as well. I think um, if you really know your client, you'll have a view as to what works with them. And um, I, ultimately what we'd want to do is speak to a person and get a view as to who they are um, you know and that's 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 the sort of the the method we always want to meet people as recruiters because that's where you gain the most information but at that sort of uh, long list level yeah you probably do have to make um a number of different uh value judgments which are based on some bias or some view that you have or indeed that your client has
0: now, you, you mentioned earlier that you'd probably start discounting somebody who hasn't updated their profile for three or four years. But that's not the only place you can be active on LinkedIn. Uh, you you can post on LinkedIn. You can comment against things, other people. And that would all... Even uh, the active part of groups. To, to what extent do you look at that kind of thing, Tony?
1: Certainly, you would look at groups, for sure. And, you know, I think one of the things that I might look for knowing you know about about uh, gross cfo if i thought somebody uh, was in your group i'd think well there you go there's somebody who's showing some ambition to get to the next level particularly let's say if my brief was was about finding somebody who can step up into into uh, somebody who's sort of young and ambitious and wants that move from from number two to number one um then i would certainly look at say gross cfo as, as a you know who's in that group and i might look at other groups so um it can be not just a source of uh, who's in the group, but a source of information for me if I'm also in the group or become a member of the group to ask some questions, to ask who people know, to ask some information about the marketplace. So certainly we use we use that part of thing uh, of of the LinkedIn network as well, and then we you know we get more granular. We start to speak to individuals and and you know follow different trails that lead us hopefully to. Uh, to a decent group of, of people that we can, we can put through a process and ultimately a shortlist
0: that we can put in front of the client. So typically when you start talking to people, how many people would be on that shortlist? Is that when you've got it down to 10 or is it a bigger number than that? It
1: could be a bigger number than that, yeah. Uh, I, I would say 25 to 30. Right. So I, you know, I would try and make sure that I'm, I'm doing a very thorough job. Um, so if I might start with a, a short, a long list of 75, 50 to 50, something in that region, I would hope to speak to sort of, you know, let's say the, the, the long list is 50, I'd hope to speak to about 25. But of course, I'm headhunting people. So how many of those people are, are going to react positively to my headhunt? Um, it's, it's not going to be all of them. That's, that, that's for sure. Um, so you start to have a conversation with those that that have been receptive to your approach. And then you're making uh, really, a, a, you know, a deeper uh, relationship with these people and trying to work out whether they're a great fit. And then you go through the process of meeting them and, and eventually putting people forward.
0: And I guess you're already whittling that list down a little bit to people that are more likely to respond by saying, well, okay, I'm not going to, I'm really not going to have anybody who's already moved jobs in the last 12 months.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's one of the things for for sure that we would, yeah. When you're looking at those, that, that big group of people, you you're making those sorts of judgment calls. You're thinking, right, that person's only moved six months ago. So they're not a great, great fit. You might even go the other way as well. So somebody has been in a business for 12 years, you might argue, well, they're not necessarily um, a person that is, that has been particularly active in the job market. And what's the reason behind that? Maybe they're not, the sort of person that wants to make a move because you only have a certain, you know, a a number of hours in the day and indeed sort of credits in the bank in terms of making approaches. You can only do so much. So you do make these calls. This person's not likely to be receptive because I think for one reason or another, either they've just moved or they, they barely ever moved. You're probably looking for that person who has, you know, had a good exposure in each of the roles, you know, four or five years, uh, but you don't want them to be sort of uh, moving every year and you don't want them to be never moving.
0: Mm, gosh. When you, when you really take the lid off this, it becomes a fascinating area. And you, when, you, when you're in the application process or the search process for a new job, you, you always think about it from your own point of view. Just hearing that switch ground and hearing it from the, the headhunter's point of view, I, I think is absolutely fascinating to understand the process that's actually going on there. Um, yeah, uh, I it's, what, another stat, Tony. We talked about twenty percent of jobs are advertised; eighty percent are hidden. Then we talked that some jobs are filled just through the network, others are filled by headhunters like yourself. What, what's that split in percentage terms? the The biggest, um,
1: the big, well, the, the biggest area uh, that, that uh, or group that are filling roles is through referrals. Forty percent. So 40% of jobs are filled through referrals. Mm-hmm. And um, even the likes of LinkedIn sort of um, back that up. And if you think about LinkedIn, it's not necessarily all about referrals. They've got a job board. So they've, they've no reason to say that. But it's also thought that, that that's the highest quality hire is often made through referrals. Uh, job boards only makes up 15, it's actually 14.9%. Mm-hmm. So 15% of, of, of people uh, find their job through job boards. This is this is market wide i would suggest that that's weighted towards the more junior end of the market mm-hmm. and and referrals is 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 more the sort of towards the senior end, and then search headhunters you know we we also operate at that more senior end of the market so you know if you're a senior person you're much more likely to find your job through um referral from somebody else or from or from getting headhunted i don't think you're you're i mean You're you're not as likely to find your job these days through applying to an advert for the reasons I've already argued that actually, you know, if you think about even jobs that that make it to being uh, advertised, um, they're almost already filled. You know, maybe maybe, you know, three slots out of a four slot shortlist have been filled through referrals and a headhunter you' you're really sort of up against it which is which is why you want to get into opportunities at their outset I would always say don't be scared of having conversations with recruiters or indeed with companies where there isn't a job spec in fact you should you should be very pleased if they say we haven't got anything written down at this point in time because my view and this is borne out by my 20 years in recruitment is, you have much more of an opportunity to get the role, role built around you if they haven't already decided to the nth degree of what they're looking for. If you, you've got more of an opportunity to project your skills and experience as being the sort of de facto that they should, they, they should want, than when they really get granular on what they're after, you've got more of a chance of getting in and, and making uh, a, an impression, having a relationship, which is what we need to have yeah. with a decision maker. Um, so, so I would always be very keen um, if, if I heard of an opportunity to get in at the early stage and be one of the first to be interviewed rather than be one of the last.
0: In some ways, I don't think that's changed an awful lot over the many years. And I'm sort of at the twilight end of a career now, working in Grow CFO. But over that sort of, what... I got my first job in 1982 when I graduated. Now, over that period of what is now coming up on 40 years, I've only applied for a job or got a job through the application process twice. Um, (laughs) I I qualified with BDO Hamlin and I applied to join ICI and got that job through application. Years later, the business I was with in ICI had been taken over by BASF. It was clear there wasn't a job. And I saw Coopers and Lybrand advertising extensively for management consultants. Actually, it was through their own in-house recruitment practice. But applied for that and got it. But that in 1997 was actually the last time I applied for a job.
1: And, and that's not that's not uh, an unfamiliar story to me. I, again, on the podcast, I ask everybody about their career moves, and you know, admittedly, the people I'm interviewing are, are either CEOs. Uh, or they're you know, very experienced uh, and, and sort of uh, at mid-career at at the very least, um, and senior. But I've been surprised that almost all of them have had a very similar story at the at the early stage of their career, uh, just out of university. They made an application, and ever since they've moved through what I would call the hidden job market, whether they understood that was what it was yeah. or not. I, mean, um, I,
0: I left university and moved through the hidden job market because I decided I was going to be a, a chartered accountant. Dad was already a chartered accountant in practice. Is that right, Kevin? The last place you're going to work is my office. That's not going to happen. But hey, if you want to qualify, here are these three partners in other organizations in Newcastle. I can introduce you to them if you want and see where it goes
1: yeah that, and that's and that's how most people i think um migrate from one job to another i spoke to a lady who was uh, ceo of birmingham highways and she thought she'd applied to one job in her career uh and when we spoke about it in great detail she hadn't even applied to that one i would found her a job at one point and she thought that was an application it wasn't it was me headhunting her so um she she'd never applied to a job and has made it to a ceo level I, I suspect that that's uh, it's part of how you you know. If if you want to have great success, you need to be in this hidden job market. One of the other reasons I'd say so is is partly because of the fact it's less competitive. You know, if you think about being involved in a situation where there's two hundred at least two hundred and fifty uh, CVs come in, if you're involved in the hidden job market, you're in a in a situation where you're one of a handful, uh, or maybe two hands uh, uh, that that have that have been. Uh, in conversation about the role so you, you're being handpicked, but you're in a much less competitive environment as well um you've got to you know got to be a particular type of uh, profile to get into that uh, early conversation but being in it you have a much better chance of uh, actually landing the role yeah
0: i'm reflecting on some benjamin as well who's recently left um deloitte Mm-hmm. And taking on a, a senior transformation role in Vodafone, and I know that he never applied to, applied for any jobs to leave Deloitte, but over a period of the last couple of years, probably approached by three or four headhunters. Some of them have gone further than others, and there's been the regular conversation: of, "Dad, I've had this conversation. I've even had this interview. What do you think?" Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah.
1: And, that, and that's how it happens. In fact, even, you know, even even the sort of accountancy firms themselves, I find they fill lots and lots of CFO roles, as you probably know, and and, and finance director roles, often with their own people, um, because they are in conversation with a company. It becomes obvious that a, a vacancy uh, in the finance function has, has come around. Uh, it's a natural thing for the CEO to or, or another senior person to ask their auditor, who do you know? Um, because, you know, you're one of my other financial advisors. Who do you know? And they facilitate this a lot of the time, whether it's somebody that's in their business, who's, you know, not on the partner track, but is uh, rated as a as a good person and has a, an ambition to go industry side or whether it's somebody else that they know through their network that they know will be friendly to the firm, they're very happy to make those introductions and put those people forward. And that, I, I suspect that's a more, uh, you know, a, a, a more fruitful avenue for, for uh, finding your next job than, as I say, applying to, to the broadsheets. I mean, it, you know, 20 years ago, it was, you, you picked up the F T or, or, you know, uh, the Times or the Telegraph on a Thursday, and all the jobs were there. Oh, uh, that, I remember That's that. how it worked, but it doesn't work like that anymore. And and I, that, was,
0: that was definitely during my period around the, the mid-90s of thinking, now, my business in ICI has been sold to BASF, I've got to get out of here. Standard reading was Thursday morning's Financial Times.
1: Yeah, and, and yeah. that's how it worked. And and to be fair, in, my, in those days, I recall when we put, and I used to put sort of um, – Front page adverts in the more often for me it was a Telegraph and a, and the Times but you would get two hundred CVs come through the post you had to open them all and and you end up with a big pile and 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 it was all about selection then so it was about active job seekers putting the, them themselves forward by applying for a job and you sifted through it these days uh, and and actually you know probably early in the in the two thousands it became all about search. And, and probably more now about network and 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 uh, your wider network through linkedin where um actually passive candidates ie those that are not necessarily looking for a job or are being spoken to about roles it's we we want to look at the entire market as a headhunter we don't just go after those that are active so through your career you should get tapped up frankly a number of times and if you're not getting tapped up then i would suggest that you're not Promoting yourself enough on LinkedIn, you don't have a full enough profile, and you're not being visible enough um, in your in your career. And you need to, as you say, maybe join Grow CFO or be involved in more groups or be more active in in uh, your industry forums for people like me to be able to find you because they're the sort of methods that we use. And you need to be speaking to your uh, your network. Uh, more regularly to find out what do they know and who are they speaking to and find the recruiters in your sector that are that are leading the way and build relationships with those people because um, you know having a a a pet recruiter um, to work with over a number of years um, can be a real shot in the arm for your for your career it can it can be incredibly advantageous uh, and is a relationship that i would suggest you should develop
0: and you like that as well, because the person you place Tony suddenly becomes uh, in that job you've placed them, and probably becomes one of your clients to recruit other people.
1: Absolutely, but a bit of circular economy, and that's exactly how it all works. So, um, yeah, you know, um, you you need to build these relationships. That's that's what I would always always say: build these relationships, build your network. That's where the value is. Um, use your network to to sort of winkle out opportunities to find out about companies to do your due diligence when it comes time to making decisions um to to find or even vet candidates that are going to come and work for you it's it's so important to have a network these days um it's something that you really need to invest in in your time and your effort
0: so to conclude The hidden job market is something that you as the future CFO really need to know about. And I'd say if you want to find out more about this, there's some good listening. And please don't stop listening to the Grow CFO show. But I could thoroughly recommend Tony's podcast, Career Move Secrets, which is on all of the major podcast uh, networks and at careermovesecrets.com. And it's a really good listen once a week.
1: Yeah, excellent. And please, please do come and have a listen. You could also go to my site, as uh, as Kevin said, careermovesecrets.com. I actually have on there a free masterclass about the hidden job market. So that's a, a sort of video-based presentation, which will go into more detail than we have done today. Um, I also have another one um, that will, if you are making uh, job applications in the way that uh, I'm, I'm sort of suggesting is, is difficult, why not up your uh, your chances there by taking my, Uh, applicant tracking system beating resume masterclass, which basically I'll help you uh, again through a piece of free training, put together your resume or or CV in the best possible way so that it does get past the applicant tracking system. So you end up in the top 20% and actually gives you more of a chance of, uh, of your CV being seen by a real human being. So there are two, two free resources on there that I would really advocate you uh, you take advantage of.
0: I guess that CV, Tony, I know we're closing down the conversation here, but that does raise another question. CV obviously, a key document if you're going against advertised jobs. But I guess that CV is still important, even when you're going through a network or through a headhunter like yourself, because that's the piece of paper that the, the guy who's actually recruiting the job is going to read before he interviews you, while he's determining who's on that final shortlist for interview.
1: Absolutely, and, and if you don't have a, a CV up and ready, then you're not you're not in the market at all. You you're, you're restricted from the market. If I headhunt you tomorrow, the first thing I will ask for is is your CV. Um, that's that's the sort of collateral, if you like, uh, or the currency of the of the recruitment market. So you need to to have one. In that training, I I, I explain how you put a CV together properly because my God, I've seen. You know, you can imagine 20 years in recruitment, I've seen every different uh, format and font and everything. And most of them are wrong. You know, frankly, there's a very simple uh, process. You don't need to hire a, an expensive CV writer. You just need to follow, follow the formula that I set out there. Um, you need to understand, you know, that you have at the top of your CV an opportunity to say something more about yourself um, and uh, and 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 put your case forward, and I've got a bit of a, a formula for that. And then there's a particular way you set out your CV, which, which I advocate, which works both for an applicant tracking system, but it also works really, really well for a human being to read. Somebody like me who wants to read your CV very quickly, because when I say read, nobody reads a CV; they skim read. And and, and 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 the the format that I've set up is is one that is. Um, scheme readable to to a very very uh, yeah, high level.
0: I'm thinking I, I haven't done any recruiting for a while and the last times that I've done this it's mostly been involved in the graduate recruitment schemes but you'll pick a CV up possibly 10 minutes before you're due to interview somebody and you want to know the the basics about that person before before they sit down in front of you. So it's it's very important to have that in an easily readable format. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's it's so important and, and uh, I, I a lot of people so. get it wrong.
0: I guess we could record a whole other podcast on how to write a CV. But well, I'm sure we could. <laughs> I think before we get into the, the, the down a rabbit hole and talk about that a lot more, I think we probably ought to draw this to a close, Tony. So thank you very much for being a guest on the Grow CFO show today.
1: Um, uh, thank you for having me on, Kevin. Really enjoyed it. Brilliant.
0: And if you want to find out more about, potentially becoming a CFO, come along to growcfo.net and find out all about the future CFO program that we offer. We'd love to have a chat with you about it. Okay, thank you.